1: Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight
2: up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup. With great odds, great promos, and
0: same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gamblers' help, call 1 800 858 858. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Now, as you would know, I usually start the show uh, with a short introduction uh, of our guest, but this time, uh, I'm going to get somebody else to do it. In the USG, having- Vision. Introducing first, Fighting Out of the Blue Corner, a mixed martial artist holding professional record, 19 wins, 3 losses, he stands 6 feet 4 inches tall, weighing in at 264 pounds, Fighting out of Perth, Western Australia, Australia! <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do that. My intros are never quite that animated. Um, so, up lately, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Um, uh, you know, I couldn't resist the opportunity to, to make that your introduction. But, of course, there is so much more to your story than what we just got a glimpse of uh, there. Obviously, uh, a big part of your life is uh, rising through the ranks uh, to becoming a professional uh, mixed martial arts fighter. But, uh, you know, people may not also be aware of um, all the other things that you've done uh, in your life, being a mental health uh, advocate uh, and ambassador for Make a Wish Foundation, a campaigner against domestic violence—the list goes on and on. So we've got plenty to chat about. But can I ask you first? Um, that sort of excitement that you get—you know—a ringside introduction for you. Do, do you miss that at
1: all? Mate, I didn't know whether to stand up and uh, and start jumping around when that introduction come on, or, or start push ups <laughs> or sit ups, because mm. it's—it uh, did—it definitely give. Me, uh, Gives me goosebumps it does yeah. In that time. especially when you've got Bruce buffer uh, in the uh, in the octagon kind of announcing your name and then you've got the whole of uh, Australia but or the whole world watching it must be exhilarating oh absolutely it's uh it's the um, I guess you know as a sportsman um, like when you whether you're the West Coast Eagles or you know they're running out in front of the thousands and thousands of people but uh it's 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 absolutely you know it's I don't know how how to explain it but it's uh one of those things that uh you can't describe. Yeah. Um you know kind of you know standing there and you've got millions of people watching on TV and uh but you're representing Perth Western Australia and that's yeah. my hometown. So yeah. I'm from 6164 South Lake so you, you represent <laughs> down there so yeah. uh,
2: but uh, but love it love it. Yeah, very good. Can I ask you about the Hulk as well? Yeah. I mean he made mention of it there. You know yeah. your nicknames I suppose it's part of your character and your brand. Yeah, absolutely. when you're in the sport. Yeah. Where did you first become the Hulk? Man, I,
1: I there was a guy named Peter Nicholas. So he, uh, Peter Nicholas, owned Fat Blaster and uh, and and Rapid Loss. He owns Rapid Loss, and uh, and he was saying to, at the time he was my manager, and he said, look, you know, we've got to give you a good name, something that uh, you know people are going to stick to, and and that. And I said, well, what about uh, the the um, the Pacific Warrior or something like that? That the tongue and torpedo or something, and he's like, no, no no, 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 so we end up coming you know you're the hulk, so end up that end up sticking and, yeah. and I end up uh, so the Hulk and, you know
2: kind of uh, kind of went from there, so because it's certainly not one of those ironic nicknames you know where they call you know a large person tiny or something, yeah, um, yeah, but for you, I suppose in the sport that you were in at the time, if you're going to call yourself the Hulk, I mean that's a bit of pressure that goes with that nickname, right mate uh, I <laughs> it It does but
1: um you know when I, when I you know don't make the hulk angry yeah. but, uh, but, but it kind of stuck to me yeah and um a lot of my my fights uh, ended up on on the ground with the hulk smash kind of thing, so, so I, that, that was the trademark thing but uh yeah it's uh, it's been a long time you yeah know, i'm forty four years old now, so uh you know um You know, thinking about what happened back then in in the past and stuff like that is is kind of good because you kind of get to, you know, tell your your grandkids and tell your kids about it. But, uh, yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah. it's awesome. Um, You wrote a book a few years ago called uh, Face Your Fears. Uh, I imagine that um, the fear is very real Uh, moments after, you know, that announcement that we just heard. When when you're in the ring, it's just, you know, all the training, it's just just you and the other bloke. You're trying to basically, you know, beat the daylights out of each other. Um, in that book, you said, uh, I'd stare at my opponent from across that cage and think, you know, what the f are you going to do to me? Nothing's going to break me. You don't know where I've been. Um, so can we talk a little bit about where you've been? Well... A- and, um, you know, and, and, and your childhood. Absolutely. What is some of your strong memories? I know you grew up in in Sydney predominantly. Yeah. Um, what was childhood like for you?
1: So th- the face fears has came about from, uh, from me waking up every single day facing my fears in a way of um, what people see Yep. Uh, and what people what people go through. So what you go through, what other you know other people go through. You either wake it wake up one morning and you have either face your fears, yep. and stay in bed, or or you can't get out of bed, or, or wake up one morning and you you're feeling positive and ready to attack the day. So, um, and I battled with a lot of uh, uh, depression, anxiety, and also kind of thoughts of suicide throughout my, my career. But uh, and a lot of it stemmed from from as a kid growing up. Yeah, um, you know, born in Newcastle, New South Wales, is where I was born. Uh, obviously, uh. Mum and dad sent me over to Tonga as, as a kid. Not sure if you know where Tonga is. Uh, it's yeah. uh, not far from Fiji. Nick Natanui's from Fiji, mm-hmm. so it's a two-week swim from Fiji, unless you get <laughs> in by sharks, unless you, you know. Um, but uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know, getting sent over to Tonga as a kid, kind of uh, being brought up there, is 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 a good thing because uh, uh, for me, I didn't know why mum and dad, mum and dad sent me over there, but uh, you know. Finally, realizing that uh, they wanted me to learn the language, learn the history, mm. and just where they were from. Because mm. uh, the only thing you could do in Tonga is sip on coconut, sit by the beach, and then, uh, you know, kind of relaxing because it's an island. So, mm. but eventually getting brought back to, to Newcastle, New South Wales, where I was born, uh, where I was born, and uh, left with, uh, you know, a family, my, you know, my uncle. So, and uh, things, things started to take a turn from there, where I was. Um, and, yeah. yeah. So, physical, physical abuse and, and stuff as a kid yeah. kind of all started
2: in Newcastle. Right. So, when you were sent to Tonga, was it you said to to learn about Tonga, the language, yeah. the culture? Um, would you, Would you go there for a long time, or was it just sort of short holiday type stints? Or you know, how long would you would you go there for? For a long time, as I right. you know, grew up, uh, uh, and. As, and, yeah. and just was there another reason why you were sent there? Or it was just so that you had a connection to you.
1: Yeah, they just wanted me to learn, just learn where they were from. Yeah, uh, language, the history, um, which was great. Because, yep.
2: um, and did you go with your mum and dad then, or did you stay with other members of your no, family? I, yeah, I stayed with members of the family. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. Okay, um, but uh, learned a lot. What brought the family to Australia in the first place? Um, I, I well, mum, dad,
1: um, dad come over and ship. Yeah so uh, he was working on a um some big ship and and mum uh, mum came over uh with uh with her family um, yep. and I think they met in they did actually met in Newcastle New South Wales so Yeah right and uh you know dad was chasing mum and uh <laughs> mum says it uh dad, you know dad says it the other way around <laughs> mum was chasing <laughs> dad but uh, <laughs> but um uh, <laughs> but yeah then they 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 met and uh, then they created a a uh,
2: soul of the hulk yeah, from there, so um... <laughs> <laughs> we we don't need to go into <laughs> yeah, that yeah. story. <laughs> Great teacher, I'm sure you'd be relieved to hear that <laughs> as well. So, um, so spending time uh, in your uncle's home then, which yep. was not a happy part of your childhood, uh, how did that come to be? And and if you don't mind, sort of just going into a bit more detail, like you know what took place there that I suppose became the source of your anxiety and your struggles as a kid.
1: I, I things were. Um I was, I was going through a lot of a lot of physical abuse as a kid. Yep. Um, you know, you name it—you know, tables, extension, extension cords, your head going through walls, and stuff like that. It's one of those things that uh, um, I think part of my culture. It, it's it's not, you know, it's one of those things you get a smack. These days, you get a smack, and I mean, you can't even smack your kid these days, you know, without getting in trouble. But uh, um, back then, it was just a like a norm, you know. Um, but uh, it's more. Kind of, it was more kind of you know to teach you a lesson. To kind of uh, it's a discipline that you go through. But it was a little bit extensive. Um, what I was going through back then. So, yeah. Um, to, a, to to the next level. Yeah. And that's so. Um,
2: and were you able to reach out to anyone at the time, or did you have to internalise it just to cope? No, definitely not reach out to anybody. And
1: yeah. that, uh, you know, there was nowhere to reach out to mm. um, because you're kind of you know trapped in, mm. in a. Um, you know, and I'm only I'm only talking about ten percent of what happened happened as a kid. But you know, it's there was no one nowhere to look to reach out to. There was no one to talk to, and if you did talk to, just, you know, you get in trouble. So, um, but I guess it's 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 what has made me the person I am today mm. of what I've gone through. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, definitely not a good thing for any child to go through. Were
2: you were you part of a of a bigger Tongan community growing up there?
1: Yeah, I, I was living with my cousins. Yeah. Um, but uh there was a community,
2: uh, a big community.
1: Um but uh, you know, we weren't really attached to that community in a way. We were kind of um so we couldn't again couldn't reach out there to, to the other the other yep. side of it. So but uh um we were I was involved involved in the band. Yeah. Um we'll call the Colo brothers. So <laughs> we would play at uh, you know, events and stuff and uh Tongan events. Um but uh yeah. It was, it was it was hard in yeah. a way. Uh, I know on my right hand I've got uh, you know I'm, I'm showing you here now, but people can't see it because we're talking about it in the podcast. But um, the right, my right, my middle, middle finger just stuck out. This is how it used to stick out. Is that right? Yeah, because he sm- he smashed it with a steel pole. What? Um, and. It's set. That's
2: how it's that's, set. So that's you. Wow. So I'm looking at you sort of pulling a fit. It looks like you've got an extra knuckle.
1: Yes. Yeah. So that's how my, my middle knuckle stuck out. Um, eventually getting it fixed, didn't have the, the the health insurance as a kid to kind of get it fixed. Never, didn't even go to the hospital. Um, so it kind of set. That's from um, your uncle. Yeah. 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 So. That's uh, horrific. But, um, but yeah. So then eventually getting it fixed. It doesn't sit a hundred percent. That's how it sits there. Yeah. So. Uh, but, um, but yeah. It's one of those things that, uh, yeah, yeah. As a, and and things like that trigger. Like if I'd, I'd sit by myself or, or, or I'd be watching something and I'd kind of turn and look at my hand, I think, wow. It's
2: like a reminder that you've yeah, got there a, carrying a around with you all the yeah, time. the journey I've gone yeah. through. Uh, what about going to school? Did you, you know, were you ever kind of, um, I suppose, made to stand out uh, from your peers at school? Was school a happy place for you? Not really. Um, But it was an escape. So Mm -hmm. I found an escape. I was an altar boy at
1: a a Catholic church, um, and I used to kind of uh, get up in the morning, and I was already ready for school because at night time I used to put my pyjamas over my school clothes. And uh, get up in the morning. School school clothes was already on, but uh, pajamas come off. Brush my teeth and out the door to go to church for, for, for six a.m. Because if I didn't go to ch- that church at, at that time in the morning, then what happens if we would have got up? Yeah, maybe would have got another beating. So, um, so I fi- found refuge at a, at a Catholic church. Where I was an altar boy at so. Wow. Yeah.
2: So it's uh, it's unthinkable to to most people to um to wake up. I mean, you talk about facing your fears. You know, that yeah. was a that was part of your. Every morning, yep. yeah, yeah, thinking that you know a beating was coming your way, yeah, terrible. I mean, you had
1: some good times with, yep. with the cousins and stuff because I got yep. to you know really connect with my cousins, and uh,
2: but the, you know, so majority of the time was was uh, pretty yep. pretty hell. When did sport become uh, an escape for you as well, or something that you could pour your energy into? Because I know you know it was basketball, um, rugby, yep. um, and then eventually more into the, the fighting sports. Um, you know. Wrestling and Brazilian Brazilian jiu jitsu. Yeah, when, yeah. um, when did sport become a big part of your life? I think sport when I came
1: to Perth. Yeah. Um, so, uh,
2: but I actually from where I
1: went because I ran away uh, from from the situation I was at in yep. Newcastle. So um, I remember him personally clear, by clear um, where I where he said to get into the lounge room, I thought, okay, this is the day I'm going to die for sure. Yeah. And I went to walk into the, to the lounge room and I seen the front door open and I thought to myself, I need to make a split decision now. In life, people make decisions, but this is the most important decision I had to make, yeah. whether going to the lounge room and getting beaten out of me or, you know, ran outside that front door and I ran down I ran the down. How the old
2: were you at this point?
1: Oh, I think about, probably about uh, nine, ten, I
2: think. Ten years old? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, and I bolted and I took off down the road and I started cutting through people's houses. And yeah. I started jumping the back fences and uh, eventually in Newcastle, some of the houses are built on stilts. So I crawled underneath someone's house and I crawled to the front of the house and I just lived underneath this house for, I don't know whose house it was, but uh, I just, uh, you know.
2: I for months I was underneath this house months. For months and months yeah. What were you doing during the days though? Were you, were you still going to school or no no I was I was I was hiding. You were yeah. on the streets,
1: stole stole people's linen off their clothesline, um, ate leftover food that they would given their dog dog food, because um, I I was in that fear of if I came out and he was looking for me and he got me I would have been in trouble. So, um, but uh, but yeah it's it's a it's a memory definitely, definitely.
2: yeah uh, yeah. So how long did you spend living that way then? Months? Yeah, months. months. And then I
1: eventually uh, went to a phone box, and I asked the operator for some help um, to co- to connect with my mum and dad. So they were living in they're up in Groot Island at the time. Yeah. They did a reverse charge call up to 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 to, to, to mum. I didn't know what a reverse charge call was, and then uh, she picked up the thing, and then they charged the call back to her, and she was in tears. And then uh, then my auntie came and picked me up from where I was. So. Wow. Yeah. All right. We
2: might just take a pause there and take a break. Yeah. uh, And get you to pick up from that point uh, when we come back, if you don't mind. Soapaleli is our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Back with with more of his story right after this.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. you listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing the inspiring story of Soa the Hulk Pulele, uh, the Hulk, a nickname that would come a little later in life. At the moment, we've been going through what has been just an extraordinarily uh, difficult um, childhood for you, Soa, um, basically running away from home at the age of about... Ten uh, leaving this cycle of abuse that you'd been living through, um, this nightmare. Can, can I? Did, did the authorities ever uh, come and 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 prosecute or make allegations against your uncle? Did that ever happen?
1: No, no. no. Uh, and there was, you know, I think the 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 culture, whether it's the Fijian culture, the Pacific Island culture, the Tongan culture, is one of those things that uh, we keep it. You know, yeah. To us, we keep it to ourselves, and I think that's the whole stigma that surrounds that whole. Uh, um, just in general, that, yeah. you, know, you know, you know, don't reach out, don't talk. You know, it's um, those kind of comments that fuel that stigma. So, um, so it does live on, mm. um, but uh, something that we're we're trying to change. Yeah. You know, as people um, having people have to have those kind of conversations, even when I do to do my presentations at mining, I I, I do talk about you know. Um, you know changing that stigma and and having people to have that conversation, hopefully when people hear my story. empowers them to tell their story about what what they've gone through in in life because i think it's so important story saves lives yeah and that and if i can empower them to share their story then they might share their story they might help someone else to tell their story so i think it's so important that we all we all can can share our story because i guarantee you, every single person that listens to this podcast or in general in just life in general has a powerful story of what they've gone through depression anxiety suicide You know the, you know what they've gone through. So I think if the more people that share their stories, the better it is. So
2: yeah, well we appreciate you sharing yours uh, with us today. Um, Take us to the moment then you. You spent months living under people's houses, as you say, eating scraps of food that you come across. You make the reverse charge phone call um, to your mum. How does that conversation go?
1: Um, Oh, she was in tears. Yeah. um, What did you tell her? she didn't even know what was going on. She had no idea. No, no. And it's funny how I didn't really tell her much about it, but uh, it's funny, when I released the book, she actually found out more things that happened in the, you know, and she just said, why didn't you tell me? So, um, but, you know. Again, you were living in fear. Again, we, you know, we kept it to ourselves. and, mm. and so, But um, but it's one of those things that, uh, you know, at that time, um, I think, I guess I was just happy to reconnect with my mum and then and, and obviously... Been flowing back up to where mum and dad was. Yeah. And so I went where I was in a, a bit of a, a safe.
2: Yeah. You know, environment. What about you know processing the trauma of what you just been through? Were you able to do that fairly soon after being reunited with your mum or dad, or did you have to face that later on? I faced it later on. I, yeah. Well, a long time. Yeah. So um, it's one of those things that
1: I didn't. I never spoke about it. Never talked about it. Um, you know, it's that stigma that surrounds that whole. You know, if I was to say something, you know, those those kind of comments that uh, that fuel that stigma is, you know, oh, geez, toughen up. You know, you're especially being the Hulk in the UFC. You know, what are you doing talking about that? Yeah. So, and it's funny how we assume things in life. Um, you know, I was always assuming things on what people would say. But in reality, I was assumed that if I'd reach out to my coach, coach, I'm struggling. Said, hey, can I have a chat? My coach would turn around and say, to mean, mate, start toughen up, soul. You're one of the modern day gladiators. that hop hopping the octagon for a living, mate. You'd be fine. Yeah. You're the Hulk." But you know. in reality, he probably would have sat down and said, "You know what, soul? Let's 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 see what's going on in, in your life." and you're not going to train. We're going to get you right. We're going to get you uh, mental, uh, get your mental health, yep. um, you know, seen to yep. as soon as possible. Yeah. So, but that's in reality. So it's funny how in life we all assume things. So
2: yeah, absolutely. Um. So you're you're back under the roof, you know, in relative safety with your yep. your mum and dad. Yep. Um, you know, at what point were you able to start enjoying some sort of childhood? Again, did you did you snap out of that cycle of abuse fairly quickly and and start to enjoy things like basketball and yeah uh, and rugby and other things that you know dare I say normal kids get to enjoy? When did when did that first become a um, something that you could do?
1: Uh, it was hard,
2: and it was hard in a way that because um, I couldn't really talk
1: about it. Mm. I tried my best to um, to to, to do, just have a normal life. Mm. I think it's um eventually when we when we moved here to, to Perth Perth Western Australia um I, I got to have a little bit of a normal life because I got into the schooling into the uh um you know uh, you know South Lakes was the school where where I went to and then obviously I had a got a scholarship at Willerton Senior High School doing basketball yeah um so I kind of got to have a little bit of a normality but a lot of the stuff was was still back in the you know Back in my mind, where I, I was still dealing with a lot, yeah, you know, so so there was no, you know, go see a psychiatrist or go see a um, to, to get help because I I didn't know who to yeah who, who to reach out for help. So
2: it's it's a sad reality, isn't it, that uh, that kids who have been through um, situations like yours often end up, um, you know, lashing out mm. and and unfortunately exhibiting violent behaviours. Uh, as well, were, were you ever, you know, getting into into scraps and and fights as a kid, uh, as things did get on top of you, or were you a pretty pretty placid kid? I was pretty placid. I used yep. to kind of keep to myself a lot.
1: Um, yep. I uh, yeah, keep to myself a lot. I was I used to protect um, kids that were getting bullied. Um, as long as they used to bring me some lunch, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I um, but uh, and, yeah, but
2: apart from that, I uh, yeah. yeah you're a big unit, so, you know. Yeah. So obviously, you have to be if you're going to carry off the name. Of the Hulk. Yeah. Were you a big kid? I was a as big well? kid, yeah. Which can, which can kind of be a, a good thing, but also can make you a target as well. Yeah. I? I was a big kid.
1: Yeah. Because um, I played rugby and and, uh, and basketball in high school. Yeah. And that so, but um, but basketball was the main thing. Yeah. I was uh, you know everyone wanted to be Michael Jordan. Yeah. Michael Jordan. So, but um, yeah, it was good because I had something I focused on something, yeah, um, which which helped me with my mental health, yep. um, which was basketball. So yeah, and then did the did the whole rugby, but n- no fighting ever eventuated until
2: later on. So. Yeah, and it was more sort of, um, I suppose, traditional uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, wasn't yeah, it? That you yeah. first got into. When when did that first become something that you enjoyed or um, to I, pursue? Yeah, I, I guess when I was uh,
1: start, when I uh, started finishing school, um, I started doing the, the wrestling and, and Greco and, and that. So, um, and my dream was always to kind of, you know, participate in the uh, in, in Olympics or something like that. So, yeah. um, which I nearly had a chance to, but you know, kind of, um, but you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but it was more kind of the art, learning the art. Uh, then you know, got into the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, travelled around the world, and learning different arts was really um something else on, on my plate as well so yeah um but yeah then taking bits and bits from different different uh
2: places brazil america you know wherever i was uh, yeah and that, so. yeah and when did you first become aware of you know mixed martial arts and this holy grail of being a ufc fighter um when did you start to see that as something that you could realistically aspire to i was actually at home and i i, I there was a an event that was held
1: in australia um and um it was the first event I've ever seen. I thought, geez, I could do this. And um, it wasn't even that big. No one even knew anything about it. Um, so, um, And then I started going, oh, I can really do this. And um, then I started doing it. I was working as a doorman at, um, at, at the clubs, and I just thought, okay. Yeah. I, I went and kind of went to a, a place and started doing the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and started learning that. Um, and then started doing the boxing, the kickboxing, and all, putting it all together and that's uh yeah and eventuated from there
2: it's a it's obviously something that that clicked in your mind i mean it's i suppose when you get to um, elite level sport it's you know you've almost got a sixth sense or a, a supernatural ability that just adapts your abilities to the sport that you're dedicating yourself to yeah. um was that the case for you when you finally did sort of stumble upon these uh, these fighting sports and as you say you had to yeah. assemble your own mishmash of styles and things that you'd learned yeah. um yeah, obviously something clicked with you, and you thought, "I'm actually bloody good at this." Yeah, well, it's it all happened. I guess I, as as I played
1: uh, as out of, when I, out of school, I got into the, to rugby, and um, and then I, was, I remember I was at Singapore Sevens, and then I got picked up to to uh, to go and play for Bristol. Bristol was uh, a, yeah. a, a place over in England, and yep. and uh, it was a Premiership team. Uh, Bob Dwyer was the next Wallaby coach, right. So yeah. he was the he was coaching at the time. So I had some really good players. Um, I I did that. I went over to, to uh, UK, but I just really didn't find my groove. I didn't find what I was doing at the time was what I wanted to do. Um, and I guess it, uh, when I came back and, and got into the, um, the, you know, learning the arts of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I was wrestling at the time, then kickboxing, boxing. And, and once I kind of learned, this is what I actually, I feel like I'm good at. Mm. Um, but in saying that, it helped me with what I was going through uh mental health wise mm. um you know, punching a, a boxing bag was um me- mentally very cathartic yeah for, you. for for me yeah yeah and and that's just, this is what I say to people, find something that helps you cope with what you're going through and and this helped me um you know helped me for what I was going through at the time
2: yeah can I ask you just before we continue on with your your fighting story um your tattoos. Yep. i understand you you went and got your first tattoo. Yeah. Uh, with your dad at the age of fifteen, which is something that uh is, is a pretty strong tradition yep. in the Tongan community. Can you tell us about that yeah, so I got a tattoo um
1: uh normally you know it does cost money but um it cost me a couple of um cigarettes uh, pack of cigarettes <laughs> um and they it's a the the um it, the, in in Tongan they call it the da da which is like a um the, the needle but it 's not the needle it 's like a they tap it Right, yeah, a bamboo thing. So that's that's even worse, um, but that's a tradition. A okay, tradition way, yeah. So did you go back to Tonga to do that, or did you do it here? I actually got it done here. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. so I had someone here that that, uh, that did it. So yeah, um, but it definitely hurt. Um,
2: the, given the 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 memories, the awful memories of of your childhood, and, and I suppose some some of it that you um, associate with. Um, how things were done, for yeah. want of a better phrase, in in the Tongan community, um, and then you relocate to Perth. Did did you feel a sense that you were um, drifting away from your Tongan heritage at all, or was it still very important to you, uh, and something that you wanted to continue to cultivate?
1: Um, in saying that, I, I um, it was part of my culture, like yeah, you know, being being Tongan, I was proud of, um, and uh, but also being Australian was I was proud of as well. Um, But I also didn't want to make – I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, not only did I – not only myself but also with my son as well, making sure that he knows, he learns the whole – even though he wasn't born in Tonga, Mm. but uh, the same as me. He was born in in, in Perth, but just kind of him knowing, um, you know, that his heritage and that as well, that – there is something there that uh, you should be proud of, yeah. Um, and it goes for anyone. So on, on where they're, you know, where their mum and dad's from, you know, yeah, that they're, they're proud of that.
2: Have you it's, taken your boy to Tonga?
1: I, 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 I'm due to, I'm due to. Now that everything's kind of slowly opening up, I wouldn't. I'd love to take him, yeah, to, uh, back, back, back home to kind of see, um, to see the the island and, yeah. the, and just the, the humbleness and uh, of being from Tonga. So yeah.
2: Very good. We need to take another break. But after that, we'll get into your uh, extraordinary rise through the ranks uh, in professional mixed martial arts uh, all the way uh, into the UFC. This is Inspiring Stories. So, uh, the Hulk, Pulele is our special guest. Back with more of his story in a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. So, uh, the Hulk Pulele uh, is our special guest in this episode, and I think we're about to uh, get to the point in your life when uh, the Hulk became a reality for you. Um, You made your professional fighting debut in 2002, so you would have been, what, about Mm 24-ish at the time? Can you remember your first fight as a pro i oh, i i can it's it was very
1: daunting in a yeah. way that uh, you didn't know what what to expect um but um but it's just a matter of just getting in there putting your hands up and uh and, and having a go
2: <laughs> Look, maybe it's because i'm a i'm a wuss. i'm not a you know naturally sort of confrontational yeah. person but um it's it's just it just seems very otherworldly to me yeah. being in a in a enclosed space like that you know with the, with the aim of just beating your opponent yeah, yeah. in in that way, you know, it's not for everyone, is it? So for, for someone like me, can you explain what is it like being in the ring when you've it's just you and the other person, you know, going at it? What you know, what is that actually like? It's it's
1: an art in in a way of um, you've trained so hard for it, so there are um there are techniques and stuff that you need to kind of um and when saying that um it's eighty percent of it is eighty to ninety percent of it is wrestling. Right. That, so then the other 10, 10 to fifteen to twenty percent is you know stand ups. You might be throwing a few punches, throwing a few kicks, um, but um, but then you clinch up and, you, and you're trying to um, like a chess game. Yeah, so you um, you got to out um, outplay the other uh, other opponent by um, so and you see a lot of a lot of the um, uh, even though it doesn't look like much because they're wrestling um, and that's where you call you you put that whole you know thing comes all together with the whole in the mixed martial arts, all plays a part. Yeah, um, where you're mixing everything together, but a lot, but a lot of it, eighty percent of it, is all like wrestling and, and submissions and, and stuff. So, yeah. so,
2: yeah, but it, it, when you're staring at a at an opponent across the you know the cage or the ring or whatever yeah. you want to call it, uh, you know, knowing that that guy has one goal is to put you on the deck, yeah, and beat the day lots out of you. Yeah, I mean, are you are you are you just petrified at this point, or are you? Well, for, you know, what, how do you how do you process that in your t- in your mind at the
1: time? I tell you what, Tim. When I was sitting backstage, I'd be looking at, um, and this is uh, word of a lie, I am sitting backstage, and thinking to myself, Geez, um, I need to find a normal nine to five job." Yeah, that's and what that I mean. So, <laughs> and, and then when you when you walk out in front of millions, uh, thousands of people, millions of people yeah. watching on TV, you just think to yourself, "Oh wow, yeah. okay, this is this is what I'm supposed to do." But in saying that, it helped me because when I was in the Octagon, and this is how. I didn't want to fight, like basically my, my whole thing, I, I, I was uh I was scared to fight. Yeah. But what helped me with my mental health problems um was the UFC. I've played all sports, but uh but being in the and have Bruce Buffer naming you know, calling out Soul of the Hulk from Perth, Western Australia, I never used to see the person across the arena was my opponent. The per- the person I was fighting was not my opponent. Yeah. The person I used to see across the arena was my uncle. Of course, So I used to imagine that in my head, and I used to close my eyes and I used to throw punches in there, and I think think to myself, I'm ready to rock and roll. Bring it, and used to used to fire me up, and I used to go, all right, let's go. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And so that um, you know that was something that helped me, uh, and I totally understand that it was just a band over band aid over something that was going on at the time of my life, but it helped me. Mental, health-wise, yeah, and that as well. So, and mate, I used to sit back backstage, and I used to, and the guys used to give me a high five. hope oh, we won! Yeah, we're going to go and party. I used to sit in the toilet and cry. Why? Yeah. it's because I couldn't reach out to my coach and say, hey, Coach, I'm struggling today. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't reach out to my training partners, my loved ones, all these people that uh, that were close to me because um, I I couldn't reach out. I, yeah. You know, so it kind of helped. There was me no joy in winning. Heart. No, no, and and no matter what I would do, there was no fulfilment. Yep. I, I was getting, but yep. um and the fulfillment that i did get from it wasn't a fulfillment from fighting my fulfillment that i that i ever got was sitting on a bike for 24 hours riding for telethon yep. the guy named matt fuller and uh, and raising awareness raising money for kids that's the fulfillment that i've got yep. F- walking into a school and doing a presentation for kids that's the fulfillment that's what i that was the you know and yep. every, like but walking in and, and and fighting was not a fulfillment yep. for me so
2: and yet, you were very good at it. Um, after your debut in two thousand and two, you were pretty dominant uh, on the Australian circuit. And by uh, about two thousand and seven, you were signed up to compete in the uh, in the UFC, which yep. is pretty much the pinnacle, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Getting the call up to do that
1: um, it was good. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, I was, at the time I was living in, in in LA at the moment. At that moment, um, yep. at that time, because I was at Temecula, where I was living, so. Uh, it was good. It was good in a way that um I think it was uh, premature as well, in a way that uh, I, I don't think I was ready. Um because I um I was still dealing with a lot lot going on in my life. So um but got the call up, signed um, yep. sign a contract, a three fight three four fight deal. Yep.
2: And uh ready to rock and roll. and look the history books will show that it didn't it didn't go to plan. No. Um you know, it was a bit of a bit of a disaster for you. Terrible um, on the circuit, uh, and you unfortunately, you know, spiraled a little bit yeah. after that. Um, oh, can you can you can you give us your uh, your version of events there? Um, I yeah, it was
1: terrible, um, and I'm not sure if you know if, if people that are listening, they, if, they you know that uh, if anyone's got stage fright, I've got stage fright. Yeah, you know, and. Oh, and um, you know, I don't know if anyone has gone through stage fright, but that's probably the worst time to get stage fright. <laughs> I, uh, you've got twenty thousand people, millions of people walk, you know, watching on TV. You're walking out, people screaming, Mandalay Bay. You know, the the pinnacle of the MMA scene to be walking out, and you've read it rock and roll, and uh, I can't even remember the fight. Yeah, which was terrible. So, yeah. um, and uh, I kind of. Uh, Uh, You know, and I I still haven't watched the fight to this day. You haven't watched it? No, I haven't, no. And uh, and I don't think I ever will because it was embarrassing. Yeah. And that's so, but uh, probably the only UFC fighter in history to actually sign a three, four, five deal, three, three to four uh, fight deal and be cut after your first fight, which is pretty embarrassing. Yeah. And that uh, obviously coming back and it made me realise that uh, when you're winning, you're winning. When you're losing, you're losing. People want to know a winner. And the week before the fight, I even had Adam Sandler in that before, like they were going, yeah, we're going to, you know, and uh, because he knew um, Ryan Parsons was a, my, my manager at the time, they were like, yeah, you know, we're going to, you know, you're going to do well. And after the fight, where I was looking around and thinking to myself, well, where is Sandra? everyone? Yeah. Where's Kevin Kevin James? Where is everyone? Yeah. And uh, reality sets in when you think, you know, I'm sitting in the hotel eating steak by myself and thinking to
2: myself, geez, yeah. uh, depression sets in. And then, yep. you know, it all went downhill from there. Yeah. Um, so what were the the, the times like that, um, post that two thousand and seven very short stint in the UFC? I know your your weight, for instance, blew out to about one hundred and sixty yeah. kegs, which is probably <laughs> quite a lot over your fighting weight. Um, oh, I was just eating junk you, food. What? Yeah, again, what was it? What was it like? Ah, uh, it was just terrible. Uh, so you're back in Perth. Back in
1: Perth. You, have genial. you dropped out of even training at all? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So no training, sit on the couch playing a game called Halo. Yep. Um, and just in junk food, KFC, McDonald's, cheesecakes, more KFC, Hungry Jacks, more KFC and a lot more KFC. I'm not trying to promote 9.95 Tuesdays, nine pieces of KFC. Tim, I'm not trying to promote it at all. You know, so, But you're laughing because you know about the Tuesdays, 9.95. But, I do but, now. <laughs> but it's one of those things that I uh, – you just, you know, I found comfort in food. Like yeah. some people might find comfort in just having a few drinks or going and staying in bed all day. Yeah. But uh, when they're depressed, so I found comfort
2: in food and all I was just doing is yeah. eating my life away. So. Yeah. Sounds like every day was Tuesday yeah. for a while. Yeah. 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 So what What was the moment then where you, it, it almost sounds like we're building towards that similar sort of moment when you were 10 and you ran away from your uncle's yeah. house. You, you obviously just had the moment, I've got to get my life back on track. Yeah. Was it a light bulb
1: like that? I woke up one morning and uh, I, th- I had a bit of pain in my chest, and I thought to myself, geez, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Yeah, And it made me realise that uh, I need to get myself sorted um, and uh, getting healthier, but, um, you know, and putting things in, into perspective. Number one, I don't want to die. Number two, what else do I want to do? Okay. I need to get healthy. I uh, Went to a gym, called Southern CrossFit, and knocked on a door. Said, "Guys, soul of the Hulk here, I know I know I look like soul of the bulk, but uh, can you help me get back into into the UFC? But also, I need to drop this way." And the guy, a guy named Jono, um, said, "Mate, listen, give us a hundred percent, and we'll get you back into the UFC." So yeah,
2: um,
1: so I ended up giving him a hundred percent. You know, six. You know, um, I started training from then on, yeah. and just putting goals and putting uh, and focusing on what I needed to do to get back into the USC. And uh, and there we have it.
2: This this sounds like a movie script. Yeah. You're telling me. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry that you went through it, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all part of a brilliant story, isn't it? Um, how tough was it then to get back to the top? Um, it, was, it was tough, but
1: I didn't really care about, um, you know, how much money I was getting paid. I didn't care about, uh, you know, it, you know, the, the, the war title belts I was collecting on along the way. It was more to kind of get back and uh, and show everyone that uh, all the naysayers that make you you useless, you're hopeless, you know, back in 2007, you know, you, you're not even from Australia, blah, blah, blah. Just all these uh, mm. negative um, comments and stuff that uh, that people were kind of, which I understood, you know, it was terrible, but um, but I, I understood it and, and I had a, a focus and my focus and, and goal was to get back into the UFC. Yeah. Which we did. We had a couple of fights. So we had three fights, and then I remember my management and said, hey, listen, we need to call Dana White. Dana White, listen, the Hulk is back, ready to rock and roll. And he goes, mate, don't ever call us again. Rip them. Really? Yeah, said, so, mate, hung up. Is that was that terrible, yeah. And um, and the manager goes, mate, you need to get back onto the wagon again. So, you know, five, you know, four, five, six fights, six fights out of the UFC. But then in saying that... Um, you know, Danny, Danny Green, Mundine. If they would yep. prepare for a fight, take them 12, 12 weeks to prepare for a fight. Mm. They might have one or two fights in that year. Um, but I had six fights in 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 a space of six months. So I nearly had a fight nearly every single month. Um, and uh, we reconnected again, and they said, "Look, well done, but uh, we're gonna uh, we'll keep an eye on you." And then uh, after having nine fights out of the UFC in a space of about a year, or just over a year. Um then we connect and say, listen, what do we have to do to get back into the UFC? Mm-hmm. We had nine fights, nine wins and uh when I talk about resilience and talk about going after it, you know, that's something that uh, you know, I do tell kids like if you have a goal, stick to the goal and keep going. It's when, yep. when people get to that stage and then they end up kind of um they quitting. They quit at that at that stage where they could have kept on going and got there. Yeah. So and then after that we, we got
2: back into the UFC, signed another full fight deal with the UFC yep. and there we have it. If you don't mind me asking, after you'd been through all of that and got back up into the ring and, and competing at the highest level, were you still fighting your uncle in the ring? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah he was still the other person on the other side yeah, of the Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the reason why I was fighting.
2: Yeah. And so,
1: because yeah. it's when I made peace with it and when I went there to see him face to face, and I remember driving down there to Newcastle, New South Wales, and I was ready to rock and roll. I'm a UFC fighter. You can't hurt me anymore. Yeah. And I remember going down there, and he got up and went to walk to me, and I thought to myself, "I'm going to really give it to him for what you've done to me as a kid." Um, and as I walked in, and I remember I was I was ready for a fight. This was was a fight. Yeah. He was old, and then um, and this is what I tell some people in life: um, you you know you can't forgive somebody for doing stuff to you, um, but for me, I had to forgive him to move forward in my life. Yep. This is me. Everyone's different, um, and I had to forgive him. So, f- f- for myself to move forward, and uh, and when he kind of said sorry and that, and I and I, s- I said I forgive you. Was it genuine? Um, yeah, yeah. He was in yeah. tears. Um, well, I think it was, but um, but he was he, he was in tears, and then yeah. I, he gave me a hug, and I thought to myself, "Geez, there's go, there goes knocking your teeth out." But. Mm. Um, I was and I sat in the car and, and I was in tears in the car and I drove back and that was something of my journey that I had to close to
2: move forward yep. in my life. So uh, and it helped me in some way. Oh, gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Just thinking about it. Um, just before we go to a break, um, just to get you know everyone back in the in the ring and in that mindset, we're going to play a little uh, snippet from one of your um, better uh, known victories yeah. um, in the UFC circuit. And therefore, Pulele, who was grounded and pounded his
1: way to a victory. So are Pulele. Yes, okay. so he so he, he was wasted good. no time yes, for yes, that out position. Okay. Through a barrage of punches, that has uh, still Barry still just...
2: rocks. There you go. Does that take you back? What does that do when, when you hear that?
1: Uh, it, it, I can still smell... The canvas. Yeah, I can smell. I can hear the crowd. I can, you know, when I do watch it. I don't really watch it anymore. Yeah, um, I don't watch. If I, if a friend of mine is is, is competing, I will watch it. But uh, apart from that, I, I, will, yeah. I wouldn't watch it. That chapter's
2: closed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, your life after we take a, a break. So I will get you to uh, to talk about what you've been doing uh, since your retirement because it's uh, incredibly important work. Uh, as well. So we'll get into that right after we take another break. This is Inspiring Stories. So uh, the Hulk, Pulele is our guest. Back with more right after this.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome
2: back to Inspiring Stories. So, uh, the Hulk Pulele is our special guest in this episode. Uh, so, just before the break, we heard, um, you know, some, some audio from one of your finer moments uh, on the UFC circuit. How hard was it to walk away from it, um, you know, when you eventually retired, um, you know, from competing as a mixed martial artist uh, altogether? Was it, was it a, a tough choice to say, I'm done?
1: Um yeah I mean, you spent your whole life kind of doing what you you know you're doing it, but uh it was it, enough's enough yeah and, and thats so I think when I settled the whole um with my uncle and, and yeah. this situation, there was nothing else for me to do yeah. I yeah. had nothing else to prove, so yep. um so I'd done what I needed to do yep. and uh, now move on to the next chapter of my life
2: it's i mean it's such a big Sport in such a big industry, and you know, TV deals must be enormous across the the globe. But can I ask, uh, if you don't mind, I mean, financially, do you do well out of it as a fighter? Uh, no, no, um, well, yeah,
1: yes. Um, if you're a Conor McGregor or, yeah, um, but, um, and if you've been in the industry for a long time, like myself, yeah. uh, you can do okay. But uh, a lot of the the, got the 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 fighters that come in through now, um, they might get, you know, six, six and six and, uh, and they really have to prove themselves to, to become Sorry, that. Six, so it's 6,000. 6,000 to fight, 6,000 to win. Uh, it might be a little bit more, might be a little bit less. It's not uh, much, you know, is it? It is. It's not much. Yeah, no, it's not much. It's especially when to pay for, a, pay for your basic gym
2: membership. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's the, the, so again, it comes down to for the love of it. Yeah. I I guess it it's like that uh the rugby for the, for, for, the yeah. for the it's for for love, not money. But uh when it was wasn't professional. Yeah. But this this is the same thing. It's yeah. like um but it's it's hard work. Yeah. And something that uh that I don't encourage anyone to, to
2: do, but <laughs> um, you know, it depending on what people want to do. Yeah. You know, so um you spend your time now uh, as a as a mentor, as someone who helps people through their own challenges. You're a mental health ambassador, which I suppose is a term we hear so much now, um, given how prevalent mental health is uh, as a as an issue generally. Uh, w- but what do you actually do?
1: So we travel around. Um, so I'm connected with a a company called Strong Minds. Strong mm-hmm. Minds, and we go to different mining companies. Yep, and we roll out mental health programs. Um, and, um, and just more educate the industry uh, and not only mining but also corporate and also schools and rolling out uh, mental health programs that helps and educates people in, uh, um, in mental health. Um, so, you know, especially the school stuff is what I love. I I love kind of, you know, helping the kids and, and rolling out our program, which we can, um, which helps these kids educate these kids as they come out of school to kind of, um, know how to have the conversation, know how to reach out. So if we can educate them young, um, by the time they get into the into the big world, they know how to reach out and yeah. stuff and have those kind of conversations. Because at the moment, uh, you get adults that don't even know how to reach out, don't know how to have that conversation. There's still that stigma that surrounds that uh, yeah. that industry. So,
2: yeah. But I hard. mean, your your story, as you just shared some of it here now, is is incredible, and it must be inc- very compelling when you're telling it. It's especially to. To kids, what's I mean? What sort of things do they come up to you and say after you've finished a presentation?
1: Oh, they're just uh, empowered. They're empowered to kind of to, to go after life in general to to do and focus and put goals in in, in the place um, on on what they want to do um, in life, whether it's to help people, whether it's to where um, it might be a sport, you know, um, that they that they do, and um, and it's so important that sports people. Um, you know, whether it's the West Coast Eagles, whether it's the Dockers, um, these kids, you know, put them as, as high regard of what they want to be because they want to be like a knick-knack-nui, they want to mm. be like a, a fife or, or whoever it is. So it's so important that they, these, these sports people need to use what their platform to, to, um, to educate kids because they will listen, they will follow yeah, and that as well. So, um, and that's that's the position I'm in, uh, you know, where I can help people. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things that I think it's I did when my first presentations I did I, I was at a mind site and they, a guy came up to me and came, handed me a note and he and he goes What's this note? And I used to I want you to read it, and I read the note. It was the last um, letter that he was leaving his family before he was about to suicide. Wow. I think from then on I thought to myself, Okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I there, and that's one person. So if I can. Do a presentation and save one person in that room that walks out that door that day, and in a positive way, I think to yourself, "You know what? I, I've heard a um, conversation. I've heard his his presentation. I've heard his story. I'm empowered to go and reach out and, and see someone yeah. professional to get help." And that's so. and That's one person. I say that's one person
2: I saved. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I can imagine that's. Um... It's a greater success than anything you've probably achieved uh, in a fighting cage or an octagon or a ring oh, or whatever.
1: And that's a fulfillment, yeah. Tim, that I get. Yeah. I've done so much in my life, but mm. the fulfillment that I get is doing the telethon, doing the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the White Ribbon, the, all these kind of great initiatives and, and, uh, and charities and stuff like that that I get to give back. Um, and that's the fulfillment that I get. I feel so proud in my heart. I feel fulfilled that um i have done this i've i've gone into a school and helped a kid that um that he was struggling you know through bullying or on that and and you know just educating kids that it is not okay to to bully you know um and, uh, and the more things i do i think the blessing that you get back in in return is is yeah. huge
2: is it, a, is it a challenge at times um you know where people f- form a view about um what you must be like to be a professional fighter uh, and seeing that as being somewhat at odds with this gentle, placid, vulnerable character that you probably are, um, you know, when you're doing your presentations. Do, do people sometimes struggle to reconcile those two things? Yeah, absolutely, because people don't know. No. Yeah, and people don't know about anything,
1: about anyone else. No. Because I've had guys that have been working together, uh, people that have been working together for, you know, 12 years, but they, they've never even, like... Um, they don't know what that person has gone through, and, and that until I've actually done my presentation, then they started having those kind of conversations. Mm. But you know, and and them knowing, oh, geez, that's the Hulk. You know, what have he, what mm. has he gone through in his life? Mm. And, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then I was like, if you got a pen, let me let me exactly. tell you Yeah, yeah, let yeah. me tell you. So, but everyone deals with some whatever they've gone through in life. At the end of the day, we just need to have conversations. Yeah, talk, and uh, and the more people that talk and that, so the, the better the better the the, the world is. Yeah, you know, so.
2: I can just imagine how rewarding the work is. Is this is this you now? Is this your life's work? Yeah, this is it. This is it. And and you know, um, apart from the other stuff I'm doing, I'm, I'm I'm doing movies in that
1: as well. So, of course, we haven't even yeah. talked about your acting yeah. prowess so, <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> we've got some pretty good cool ones coming out this year. So, Have you? Um, but um, but yeah, it's one of those things. I want to learn that uh, you know, but also use that platform to kind of help with what I'm doing with the mental health. Yeah. And that's, and as well, so, um, but, um, something else, something else I want to learn.
2: So. Yeah. Well, if we don't see you uh, in a presentation, I'm sure we'll see you on the big screen yeah. at some point, but, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your story, uh, as harrowing as it has been in awesome. parts, but, um, yeah, incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. In this episode, the inspiring story of the one and only Sola, the Hulk, Pulele. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.